1: a holy nation, nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him, who called you out of darkness, his wonderful light. Peter, an Apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look.
0: Well, many of you would know that um, before I uh, became a pastor here in Geelong, um, I was working full-time in the army and my specific job for four years in the army, was to train the very newest soldiers, to take, help uh, train new recruits who had just joined the army, and to turn them into soldiers who would be capable and prepared to defend the nation. And um, week after week, month after month, hundreds of new soldiers would come, and they would sit a little bit like you're sitting now, and they would be there, and they would mostly be young men and women, uh, 18, 19, 20 years old. They'd be eager, they'd be excited, but It was unknown. They were brand new recruits. Many of them have not really thought about what they'd just done by enlisting in the army. Uh, Many of them were only just coming to terms with what that might mean. And uh, for many of them, they'd gone through school, they'd gone through parents, they'd just left home and they had never really asked any of the big questions of life. The really big questions like, for example, who am I? Who am I? Questions like, where am I going in my life? And questions like, what will that journey be like? Three hugely important questions. And for these young soldiers, I would look at them and think, you better get serious about answering some of those questions because some of you, this time next year, will be in Afghanistan. It matters that you think about these big questions and that you have answers for them because if you don't, you will be unprepared for the life which is about to embrace you. And in a similar way for us as Christians, these big questions that we might ask, who am I as a Christian, where am I going as a Christian?, What is my journey as a Christian going to be like to get there? They are fundamentally important questions. And if you get those questions right, you grasp the answers that God gives you in his word, then you'll be prepared, as we heard last week, to run the race that's before you. And you'll thrive. But if you grasp the wrong answers to these questions... If you arrive at answers um, that do not come from the Word of God, then you will already be a slow-moving train wreck in regards to your faith, because you, you won't know who you are, you won't know where you're going, and you won't be prepared for what the journey will be like. So this morning, as we come together and we open this letter of 1 Peter, I'm excited because Peter, the Apostle is writing to answer the very same questions that they were asking 2,000 years ago, and the very same questions that we are asking today, or we should be asking, the questions that we need the answers to. I'm excited about, and Peter's going to, in the next week, unfold for us more of these three things. Who am I as a Christian in the world? Where am I going? And what will that journey be like? Fundamentally important Questions. So we're going to look at those questions today, or beginning to look at them. Well, firstly, though, let's get some background. So verse 1 tells us this letter is from the Apostle Peter. So most of us know who Peter was. He's a fairly high-profile person in the New Testament. Uh, Peter was the fisherman who became the fiery and sometimes um, unbalanced follower of Jesus that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Later on, Peter became uh, the the leader of the early church in Jerusalem and eventually going to Rome, where, depending on what you think, he became the first Pope. Uh, But Peter uh, writes this letter around about 60 AD, so roughly 30 years after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. And Peter writes it from the city of Rome. And he writes it to a bunch of new church plants. Church plants, um, and we're told in verse 1, all of these interesting names, which mean Cappadocia and Bithynia and A, that mean very little to us. Basically, you would think of them as all being incorporated geographically in what is today the country of Turkey. They're new church plants in the country of Turkey, what then was provinces of the Roman Empire. And for these new churches, life was difficult they were often misunderstood. They were Christians in a minority, they were minority in a majority culture which had very little time for this new message of Jesus Christ. And so they were, they were misunderstood. They, they weren't continually persecuted violently and aggressively, but it came in fits and starts. And when it came, it was very hard. It was very painful. And, and these new, new Christians are asking the kind of questions like, is, was this how it's meant to be? Is this what, I, what it means for me to be a Christian in the world, what I'm experiencing now? Marginalized and persecuted, misunderstood, misrepresented. Is this what it is to be a Christian? And in some ways, what I love about Peter is that we could be asking many of the same questions, couldn't we? What have we done wrong? Is is this unexpected, what I'm currently experiencing in my life? Is, is the current experience of the church something that is, 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 is it's out of God's plan? What's happened? And so Peter says, all right, well, let's look at who are you? Where are you going? And what will that journey be like? So let's look at it now in more detail. So firstly, who am I specifically? Who am I as a Christian in this world? What is your identity? Now, if we think about it in a a much beloved Australian term, let's think about it in terms of home ownership, right? For some of us, we think Christians in the world is like owning your own home. You've got permanency here. You've, You've got brick and mortar that you own. You've got the rights and the obligations of having a large mortgage. You can have a say in your local council. You have arrived. You own your own home. Others might think, no, I reckon Christian in the world is more like renting a place, you know? You're here for the long haul, but, and you've got bricks and mortar, and you've got agreements and rights and obligations. You pay your rent, and in return, you get this. And, but, but you know you could move on. You're not, you're not really here permanently. But others would say, no, no, you got, it, you got it wrong. Being a Christian in the world today is like being on a permanent caravan holiday. Doesn't sound good? <laughs> you, just, you just go from place to place. You don't really expect to have a say in, in the place you're visiting for a couple of days. You're moving on. You're moving through. But you still vote. You probably still receive Centrelink, maybe a pension. You've, you've got a say, even though you're moving through. So, so which is it like? Who am I? Well, Peter would say, you're none of those. None of them. You're not a, not a homeowner, you're not a renter, and you're not a caravanner. Uh, Peter is writing to a group of people which, as far as we know, were some of them were Jewish Christians, Other, most of them were almost certainly Gentiles, they were, they were like most of us, they, they, were not, they, didn't, they didn't have the Jewish background, they'd become Christians. And some of those people he was writing to would have been quite wealthy, some of them would have been Roman citizens, that meant that they were politically important. Many of them would not have been. But Peter writes to all of them, and in answer to that first question, who am I as a Christian in the world, he says, This is who you are. Verse 1 to the elect exiles of the dispersion. Interesting. So important. Elect exiles of the dispersion. So if you're a Christian, you are, firstly, an exile. You're an exile. That's what Peter is addressing those Christians. He says, you're an exile. Now, we don't use the word exile ourselves very often. An exile might be, it's certainly not the homeowner or the renter or the caravaner. An exiler would probably be more like, someone in exile would be more like, in our context, a refugee. They're living in a country, but they really don't belong. They have no rights. They have have little access to the provisions of society that others do. They maybe look different. Maybe they speak a different language. They're on the outer. They're living in the country, but they and the country that they are part of know that they don't have citizenship. They don't belong. And Peter says, if you're a Christian in the world, you're an exile. You're a refugee. Or do you feel like an exile in the world? I suspect, although I don't know this for sure, because even I'm not old enough to know this, but I suspect that for many generations that were prior to ours, when they read the term exiles, they would have gone, really? Are we exiles in the world? Aren't we more like homeowners? And, And you know why they would have thought that? Because The church to which Peter writes in 1 Peter was certainly exiles, were marginalised, were misunderstood. But a few hundred years after Peter wrote this letter, a very significant thing happened. Do you know what it was? You probably do, I've got to give you more. The emperor, who previously had been at the forefront of persecuting Christians, the emperor of the time, Emperor Constantine, became a Christian. Suddenly, the, very, the most important person in the Roman Empire, the most powerful political body on earth at that time, goes, I'm a Christian. And he didn't just stop there. He said, and you're going to be a Christian too. And if you're not, there will be consequences. So can you see the, the shift that suddenly happened? Suddenly, from 312 or 320 onwards at least, Christianity became the majority religion. It became the state-sanctioned religion. And what that meant was, is that if you were a Christian, it was economically and politically and socially a very good thing to be. And if you weren't, you you were going to have difficulties in all of those areas. And so what happened is the church becomes a politically powerful entity. And for the next 1,500 years, it stayed that way. The church had power. It had political significance. If you wanted to get ahead in society, you had to at least give lip service to Christianity. And it was like that until very recently. In fact, human living memory in this room, for some of you, would remember that case very clearly. And you could say, well, how could you be an exile in that? You're a majority. You're a Christian in a Christian country. Well, what has happened in the years since then is incredibly rapidly the foundations have shaken, have trembled, and collapsed. We live now in a very different world, which is why, in some ways, um, the book of 1 Peter is called a letter for the 21st century, because it speaks to us. Do you feel like an exile? I suspect that if you are genuinely following Jesus Christ in the world, you have that sense of an exile as being a refugee, at least to some degree. Now, it's very difficult to reconcile to that, isn't it? Because we say, well, who am I as a Christian? Previous generations could have said, I'm a homeowner, I'm a, I'm a, a Christian in a Christian country. For us, that is no longer true, and it's hard to deal with, isn't it? Uh, for some of us, that fact that we look out at the world that's changed so much, where Christianity is now pushed to the side, marginalized, or, or seek to be expelled from the public square, and we, we just feel like depressed, like, so sad. Look what's happened, you know? Look what our country has become. Uh, other of us, we, we don't just feel depressed, we feel like militant. No, 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 no. we're going to fight this. We, we're going to stop it. We, we're going we're to use the tools of the state. And, and we, we don't like our privilege and our special position being eroded and being, and being given away. We, we want it back. But who are we? Peter says, we're exiled. Or in the language of the old King James Bible, we are, we are strangers in a strange land. We're, we're not citizens here. We never were. We're exiles. And you know what? I, honestly, I, I probably tend to more of that first category I mentioned of getting a bit depressed about it and just saying, oh, well, this is so sad. What are, we, what are we doing to the next generations? But it's actually, in many ways to look at it differently, it's refreshing. It's refreshing in the sense you know why it's refreshing? Because I look throughout history and I wonder, when did the church of Jesus Christ really be the church of Jesus Christ? Was it when we had political power and when our world matters and when we had popes and Christian emperors and leading armies? and Was that really when the church was the church? Or was the church the church when it was genuinely exiles in the world? Was the church the church when it was knowing that it didn't belong here and living and acting in such a way that eventually the world around it went, wow, we want what these people have got. Now, I want to I put a little caveat here because I do believe that it's important, I'm not saying that as Christians in the democratic process we do not exercise our democratic rights and obligations. We're citizens in the country in that sense, right? We may be exiles at a deeper level, but we have the right to vote, and we should exercise it. Christians should be active in the political sphere. Um, it's, it's not wrong also to, to advocate for what is good for all of society. And if we believe the truth of Christianity, the truth that Jesus taught, what the Bible teaches about morality is good for everyone. It's good for the nation. In the Old Testament, it says that... that um, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. It's right to be involved and to be active, but only if we remember that we're exiles. We're not homeowners. And we conduct ourselves in those debates and in those forums in a way that says we're exiles. We're gentle, we're humble. We're loving, we're, we're gracious, not banging our drums and demanding our rights. We're exiles. Who am I? Exiles. But it's interesting that that's only part of who we are. Peter says, to the elect, exiles. We're elect, exiles. So we're exiles, yes, but we're also elect. And I know I've been around the Christian church for long enough to know whenever you say the word election, it gets a hot topic. People go like, ah, Calvinism, predestination, all this kind of thing. But the Bible used the word elect a lot. And it, when it uses it, in, it, it's wanting to encourage us. It's not wanting to divide us. So verse 1, to those who are elect, um, elect means, well, we know what it means, don't we? Elect means special. It means that you're chosen. You know what it's like to be elected, to be called out if, you, if you've married a, a beautiful woman, as I did, or a, a lovely husband, or you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend. You know what it is when that person chooses you out. You feel like... I'm special because she chose me. That, that makes me very special. You're elected and it's a wonderful thing. And when, when Peter says you're elect, the question is by who? Just who is it that has elected and chosen you? Who is it? Well, the answer is beautiful and it comes in verse 2. Listen to this. Elected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Who's elected you if you're a Christian? God in Trinity has elected you. Did you see that? God for knowing, the Father for knowing, the Spirit sanctifying, all to be obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. If you're a Christian, you've been chosen by the God of the universe. He has chosen you out. You might be an exile in the world, but you're chosen. You're an elect exile. You are like Abraham was. Remember long ago, Abraham living in the land and God speaks to him and he gives him a promise and he says, now go out from there, Abraham. Go in to the place where I'll lead you. And Abraham spends the rest of his life in the wilderness. But he's chosen. He's chosen. Or like the people of Israel brought out, as we heard last year, out of, out of Egypt in slavery, given the promise of a promised land, milk and honey, but in the middle of the time, in the desert, wandering in the wilderness, we are elect exiles. Peter says to those early Christians, confused and hurting, and, and maybe to you today as well, who are you? You're an exile, but you are a son and a daughter of the King of Kings. You are elected. You are chosen. You're special. It's a real encouragement. Who, are, who am I as a Christian in the world? I'm an elect exile. Now, secondly, as a Christian in the world, where am I going? If I'm in exile, I don't belong here. So where do I really belong? Where am I going? Because we're all going somewhere. And every worldview says you're going somewhere. If you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, you're going from nothing to nothing. You've got no purpose. It's a reality. may as well shoot yourself now because there is no reason. This is all there is. But if you are an elect exile of God, you're going somewhere. You belong somewhere. And where is our home? Verse 3 tells us. Listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Where am I going as a Christian in the world? The answer is, you are going to heaven. That is where your destination leads. That's where the one who has made you an exile and chosen you is leading you to heaven. And there's something very sweet in that, isn't it? Because, uh, like many Australians, um, I love travelling the world. Uh, it seems to be Australia, New Zealand. That's our thing. We we love. To travel, I love traveling to other nations, and I love uh, seeing um, how other countries do things and and I hate waiting in the other passports line while everyone else just waltzes through i don 't know if you ever feel that, but but I love traveling, but I also love coming home. I love when you, you touch on the down on the ground again in Australia, and then then you walk into the customs hall and and you take out your blue passport your and you, and you go into the returning citizens' aisle, and you tick, I'm a returning resident, and then the, the guy, the girl, boredly looks at you and goes, oh, welcome home, stamp. Oh, in you go. You're home. Now, but I appreciate that as Australian, but in my experience, some of the people who experience being Australian and really value it are those who knew what it was not to be in Australia, especially those who came from countries of war countries where their lives were destroyed, countries where they had no opportunities and no hope. Some of those people seem to be the most proudest to have that Australian passport because they knew what it was like when they weren't a citizen. And in a similar way, for us, we didn't always have the passport to heaven. We weren't always chosen. We were not always elected practically. We may have been before the hit for time began, but in our practical experience, we had not been brought into a relationship with God. We didn't have the passport. We were homeowners in this world and that's all we had to look forward to. That's the only place we could go. And if we had a visa at all, it was a visa to hell. We were without hope and lost in the world. And then we were chosen and we were elected. And I love it that Peter here is saying, you want to know who you are, you're an elect exile. You want to know where you're going, you're going to heaven. And that should thrill you with hope because he speaks about it like being born again. We're born again to a living hope. Did you see that? A change so radical, once we were citizens of earth, now we're citizens of heaven, and what has happened is not just simply a a change of destination where we've changed planes, if you like, or changed passports. We've been changed from the inside out. We are born again. It's a word that was around a lot in the 70s and 80s, wasn't it? Born again, but it's a word that is Bible word. We're, We're changed from the inside out, and we're given a living hope. It's not a dead hope. I think sometimes it's easy to think I'm a Christian because I believed a message about a man called Jesus Christ who died and rose again. So I'm a Christian. And there's some truth in that. But the Bible would say you're not a Christian because you believed in a message about something. You're a Christian because Jesus Christ is alive. He died and he rose again. It's not just a message, it's a reality. It's an action that has happened and you have been changed from the inside out. You have been born again to a living hope and that hope is in heaven and we have that now to some extent. So if you're born again, you're a citizen of heaven now, you're not an exile in the sense that you're a wandering beggar. You're an exile but you have the title deed to heaven in your pocket. That's where you're going. You're going to heaven. And Peter speaks about heaven. He wants these Christians to know, who are you? You're an elect exile. You're going to heaven and it's going to be worth it. You've got life now. The resurrection of Jesus has given you a living hope right now, but it's only the down payment. Where you're going, you will one day receive its fullness. And I love it. I mean, if someone said to you, we were talking about this on the Pastors Retreat, what's heaven like? And sometimes we think it's harps and clouds and it sounds so boring. You know, I think I would prefer to be here where I could go surfing and stuff. But we just don't understand. Heaven is, is the new heavens and the new earth. And, and heaven is, when Peter tries to describe it, did you notice that he, he describes it by telling you what it's not? Do you know that? He, he doesn't tell you, this is what heaven's like. He says, this is what it's not. He says, it doesn't perish. It can't get defiled and it doesn't fade. He hasn't really told us what it is, but he's told us what it's not. It's permanent. It's lasting. It's real. And it's being kept for you in heaven right now. And that inheritance, do you think about that? It's waiting for you right now. You're an elect exile. You're going towards your home and that home is waiting for you, and that home will be far more than any one aspect of heaven that you might pick out and think, I'd love that. It's salvation in all of its fullness. It's salvation materially and physically and spiritually. And Peter says, that's where you are going. You're an elect exile, and you are going towards heaven. Now, thirdly, it's important. What will the journey be like? So what's the journey for an elect exile on the way to heaven like? This is really important, really important, because as we know, expectations really affect the way we look at something, isn't it? If you have really, really high expectations for something, and it's like a complete flop, it's so much worse than if you have low expectations and you get surprised. I'm not saying have low expectations of the journey towards heaven, but I am saying have accurate expectations. I know when I joined the army, I got totally sucked in by the wrong expectations. I, uh, yeah, it's embarrassing, but I looked at the uniforms I thought, like, I'm going to look good in one of those. Uh, I read the, they, they had these wonderful glossy brochures back then, it's probably all online now, but and it, it spoke about a day at the, in the life of the, the cadet at the Defence Force Academy. I, I, from memory, I remember it said a lot of good food, I think it had hang gliding in there somewhere during that day, there was like lots of sport, I was like, why would you not want to go to this place? It's amazing. I, I got sucked in by the wrong expectations, and it probably made the initial period of my time in the Defence Force much harder because I, and I expected a lot of kind of romantic war movies. None of, all of those things just didn't happen. But what is our journey like, according to the Bible? So what's the journey for an elect exile like? It really matters because whatever journey you're experiencing right now as an elect exile, if you think you shouldn't be experiencing it right now, it can be really difficult can cause a lot, of, a lot of uncertainty in our faith. So what's it like according to Peter? Well, Peter says, verse 4, immensely encouraging. He says, firstly, it's a guarded journey. You're an elect exile, but you are not just wandering. Pray to anyone who might attack you. You are guarded. Listen to what he says. Verse 4, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Your journey as an elect exile is a guarded one. Immensely encouraging. Once again, another army illustration. In the army, um, VIP protection. You've got a very important person, normally a politician. Why well, they're very important, but they were. So very important people coming to visit a combat area, and the, they are given what is called VIP protection. And that is that the SAS or the commandos or some kind of special forces unit, the very best of the best, are designated as guarding this VIP for their time there. You've probably seen it on movies. The best of the best, you know, they got all the ear picked, you know, got all these things, you know, helicopters circling overhead. You, you, you're guarded. And that's the, the, the term that's used here as a military term. It means garrison soldiers around something. So Peter says, you're guarded on your journey, but not by a bunch of special forces soldiers who in, a determined enemy may get through. He says, the God of all power is the one who is guarding you. Isn't that comfort? Peter says to this harassed and persecuted and uncertain church, you're guarded on your journey and you're guarded by God himself, the God who has lost none of his own, the God for whom no challenge is any challenge. He's guarding you. So, well, what about what happened last week this time last week, in Pakistan, uh, maybe you, you heard about it this week, but it was a church service maybe just like this. Two pastors were running it, William and Patrick, after the service they got into their car and they went to drive back home for lunch, and as they were driving, an Islamic militant on a, on a motorbike pulled alongside the car and sprayed them with automatic gunfire. Patrick was guarded, those bullets miraculously passed through his clothes, not a scratch on him, holes in his clothes, nothing in his body, they cut William in two and he died in the spot. So the question is, well, where was God's guard? It was working for Patrick. What about William? Did something get through God's guard? Was, was Patrick, had William somehow voided God's guard by something he'd done? Was, was this a punishment from the devil? Is God, was God wondering, wringing his hands, going, oh, I wish I could have saved William as well as Patrick? See, if you have an expectation that walking through your life, that you, God's guard of you means that you'll never suffer, that you'll never go through low patches, that you'll never encounter relational difficulties, that you'll never have disappointments that you maybe carry day by day, that your heart will always be rejoicing and your life will always be sweet and your work will always be fulfilling and your marriage will always be great and your kids will be perfectly behaved. If you have these kind of expectations, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Never, ever in the Scriptures does God promise that one who follows Him will be shielded in the sense that all suffering and difficulties will be blocked out. It'd be great, wouldn't it? But it's just not promised. And one of the things I struggle with as a pastor is when, when, when people come to me and they say, this happened to me, therefore, I don't know if I can be a Christian. I was like, what did you expect? And the answer is they expected to be shielded. Because someone or had told them they'd, they'd wanted it to be that way, and, and they'd sort of convinced themselves that life as a Christian would be one long walk through the rose garden without the thorns. But Peter says it's not true. We're guarded, we're protected, but he says, verse 6, in this you rejoice that you're an elect exile, that you're guarded, that you're protected by God, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He's saying to these Christians, you've been grieved by various trials. And in the letter to, we we read it aloud on Monday afternoon, as we prayed as pastors. We read the whole letter, just praying through it. And the thing that struck me over and over again, he's going to come back to this theme a lot, because it's a theme, the theme of suffering is, is is a theme that has to be wrestled with. What's my journey going to be like? You must anticipate suffering. And, and Peter says there, as he's talking about it, he says, you rejoice, we'll come back to that in a moment, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved. And he goes on to speak about the grieving as of being a little bit like gold that is placed in a furnace. Gold, a precious metal, placed in the furnace. You don't put it in the fire to get rid of it. No jeweler does that you put the gold in the fire so that what was already precious and valuable becomes even more precious and pure and valuable. And Peter says to these Christians, your journey is going to have suffering. The shielding of God doesn't mean that you're not going to encounter suffering. What it does mean is that the God who shields you from everything that would hurt you spiritually, everything that would really, really serve to to steal, pluck, Pluck you out of his hand. All of these things you were shielded from by faith, but your your day to day life, there will be occasions when you, your faith, which is precious like gold, more precious than gold, which perishes though when it's put in the fire, will be in the end lifted out of that fire and will be far more precious and beautiful. You see, God purifies us. What do you expect on the road as a Christian? Expect purification. Jesus says, anyone who would come after me must take up his cross and follow me. I don't know where we as Christians get the idea that taking up your cross means you're going to have a life of, of roses. But we do, don't we? And we're shocked when suffering comes our way. And we ask questions like, God, you, you, you have sovereignty over the whole universe and all the stars and the planets. You have control over willy bins, don't you? Is that right? You do. So you could have stopped this happening. Could he? Of course he could have stopped it happening. Could, could he have made all the bullets go through William's clothes like he did Patrick's? Of course he could have. But he doesn't. Because he, through suffering, achieves something that we can't... And we, sometimes as Christians we go, I see why they did that and this is why this. And sometimes there's a point for that. The psalmist says, before I was afflicted I went astray. Sometimes it's good to invent, but the answer is we're never going to know but we know that our journey is guarded. It'll have suffering. God will, will purify us through the process. But thirdly, and this is also very important, this is what we should also expect on the journey, because if I focus on those two too long, we'll get out of whack. But look what it says about the focus. Well, the result is verse 7. Will may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ... But then it talks to us about what is going on in our hearts as we journey on. And uh, I like to think of this as an allergy, and it's not really an army allergy, but when I did join the Defence Academy, whenever I was going back from leave, I'd leave my home and Ballarat and family and and then I'd get in the car and the longer I drove towards Canberra, as the the, the kilometres got fewer, the more depressed I'd get. By Aubrey, I was starting to feel really bad. By the time we hit, uh, you know, we were heading towards Holbrook, it was getting worse. And then by the time we went through Yass, yeah, so I was feeling downright miserable. And then be pulled into the car park and getting ready and I would just sit in the car and watch my watch and, and just think, count the minutes down till the formal expiration of my leave. And the reason was that I'd left my home and my loved ones and I was going into another six months of hard work and discipline and pain and, and striving and it was hard, and I'd go, oh, here we go again. But switch it, Christmas leave, same journey, same car, coming back home, and, and every kilometre that got less, the music got louder, and, uh, you know, and by the time we got to you know, Aubrey, I was like, oh, no one's going to notice if I speed a little bit, are they? And Oh, I want to get home. And, it just, and my heart would rejoice, and then I'd get home, and it was like, yes, I'm on holidays, it's Christmas, I'm with my family, it's, I'm free from this for a while. And I think for a lot of us, we imagine the journey of this life to be more like the first example. The journey is like, oh, it's depressing. It's so hard, and it's so miserable, and and things are difficult. I know there's hard times ahead, and, and I know, personally, I sometimes, you get in this kind of rut. But actually, the journey is much more like we are going towards leave. We're going home. Remember, the destination is heaven. So what's the journey like? Peter talks about what the journey is like for these first Christians, and I love it what he says, this is what he says, though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and listen to this, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. I ask myself, is that my experience of the Christian faith? Is is that your experience? A joy inexpressible filled with glory. Peter says, look, I saw him, you haven't, but you still love him. he says, that's who you're hoping in. And because of that, because of his resurrection from the dead, because Jesus is alive, because death couldn't hold him down, because you're going to heaven to receive that reward as an elect exile, you are in the midst of suffering and pain, filled with joy inexpressible, full of glory. I don't always feel that way, and I suspect you don't either. And sometimes it's good to ask the question, why? If we are feeling, I go like, I I miss that joy. I read of what these Christians had, but it feels like I don't have it. It's good to ask the question why, isn't it? I've, I've been asking myself that question this week. And I think, I suspect that for me, it is because in some way, I've started to see myself as a homeowner again. And when I don't get what I think I deserve, then I get sulky. And I, and, I, and I take my eyes off where I'm going and I look where I am. It's a little bit like, and I have to be careful with this illustration, but I think it's, it's okay. I think it's a little bit like it was for German Jews in the time of Hitler, or before the time of Hitler. They, many, many German Jews were, 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 German was their first identity, Jewish was just like a secondary unimportant one. Until Hitler came and forced them to wear yellow stars and took away their property. And persecuted them, the suffering actually reminded them who they really were, what their real identity was. And I suspect it with me that when the suffering comes and I feel sort of ugh, flat and heavy and tired and depressed, it's, it's usually because I've started to look around and, and put too much in this world. To tell myself I'm an elect exile, but then to come back and think, well, actually, I really belong here. And if I don't get what I deserve, then I'll be sulky. Joy inexpressible, filled with glory. I don't think that is a false aspiration. I think that when Peter wrote that, and, and the, those first readers of the letters, persecuted, troubled, when they read that, they went, yes, that's our experience. We're Christians, we are elect exiles. We are going to heaven, and the journey is going to be hard, but as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are filled with joy inexpressible, full of glory. In these next weeks, we're going to be looking together at what that looks like. What is it like to navigate through this world as elect exiles? And Peter's going to be immensely practical. There's going to be lots of things he's going to talk to about what it looks like for us. But my prayer this morning is that, firstly, that you will journey together as we dive into this book and we'll open our hearts to hear what God would say. But that this morning, as we sing now and as we, we go into the week, that your life in Christ with suffering and hardship and all that would still be filled with joy inexpressible, full of glory. Let me pray. I'm going to sing. Father, uh, we are grateful for our identity in you, that we are elect exiles. Father, we pray that as, um, as Christians we live in this world, we ask, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, you'd give us guidance to walk in it wisely as elect exiles, knowing that this is not our home. We're not homeowners, that we're refugees. We're, we're going to our real home, where our citizenship already is, with Jesus Christ, died, rose again, coming in glory. And Father, we pray that as we journey, um, that if this morning we feel heavy and beaten down, uh, we feel uh, joyless, Lord, that you would remind us of these truths. That would, you would use your holy word to, to lift our eyes again to you. To where we're going and to the one that we're going with and we're going to. And we pray, Lord, that our church in this year, 2022, that we would be filled in the ups and downs with joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. And we pray all these things, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church,